0: Section 47 of The Life of Samuel Johnson, Volume 4. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. The Life of Samuel Johnson, Volume 4, by James Boswell, Section 47. During his last illness, Johnson experienced the steady and kind attachment of his numerous friends. Mr. Hoole has drawn up a narrative of what passed in the visits which he paid him during that time, from the 10th of November to the 13th of December, the day of his death, inclusive, and has favoured me with the perusal of it, with permission to make extracts, which I have done. Nobody was more attentive to him than Mr. Langton, to whom he tenderly said, Te tenea moriens deficiente manu. Footnote. Tibulus addressed Cynthia in this manner. Te spectem suprema mihi convenerit hora et tenea moriens deficiente manu before my closing eyes dear cynthia stand held weakly by my fainting trembling hand end of and i think it highly to the honour of mr wyndham that his important occupations as an active statesman did not prevent him from paying assiduous respect to the dying sage whom he revered footnote. Wyndham was scarcely a statesman as yet though for a few months of the year before he had been chief secretary for Ireland. He was in Parliament, but he had never spoken. His diary shows that he had no important occupations. On December the 12th, for instance, he records, came down about ten red reviews, wrote to Mrs Siddons, and then went to the ice. Came home only in time to dress and go to my mother's to dinner. End of footnote. Mr. Langton informs me that one day he found Mr. Burke and four or five more friends sitting with Johnson. Mr. Burke said to him, I am afraid, sir, such a number of us may be oppressive to you. No, sir, said Johnson, it is not so and i must be in a wretched state indeed when your company would not be a delight to me mr burke in a tremulous voice expressive of being very tenderly affected replied my dear sir you have always been too good to me immediately afterwards he went away this was the last circumstance in the acquaintance of these two eminent men Footnote my father writes miss burney saw him once while i was away and carried mr burke with him who was desirous of paying his respects to him once more in person he rallied a little while they were there and mr burke when they left him said to my father his work is almost done and well has he done it burke in seventeen ninety two said in parliament that Dr Johnson's virtues were equal to his transcendent talents, and his friendship he valued as the greatest consolation and happiness of his life. The following particulars of his conversation within a few days of his death I give on the authority of Mr John Nichols On the same undoubted authority I give a few articles which Should have been inserted in chronological order but which now that they are before me i should be sorry to omit in 1736 dr johnson had a particular inclination to have been engaged as an assistant to the reverend mr budworth then headmaster of the grammar school at brood in staffordshire an excellent person who possessed every talent of a perfect instructor of youth in a degree which to use the words of one of the brightest ornaments of literature the rev dr hurd bishop of worcester has been rarely found in any of the profession since the days of Quintilian. mr budworth who was less known in his lifetime from that obscure situation to which the caprice of fortune oft condemns the most accomplished characters than his highest merit deserved had been bred under Mr. Blackwell in square brackets Blackwall, at Market Bosworth, where Johnson was some time an usher, which might naturally lead to the application. Mr. Budworth was certainly no stranger to the learning or abilities of Johnson, as he more than once lamented his having been under the necessity of declining the engagement, from an apprehension that the paralytic affection under which our great philologist labored through life might become the object of imitation or of ridicule among his pupils captain budworth his grandson has confirmed to me this anecdote among the early associates of johnson at st john's gate was samuel boyce well known by his ingenious productions and not less noted for his imprudence It was not unusual for Boyce to be a customer to the pawnbroker. On one of these occasions Dr. Johnson collected a sum of money to redeem his friend's clothes, which in two days after were pawned again. The sum, said Johnson, was collected by sixpences at a time when to me sixpence was a serious consideration. Speaking one day of a person for whom he had a real friendship, but in whom vanity was somewhat too predominant, he observed that Kelly was so fond of displaying on his sideboard the plate which he possessed, that he added to it his spurs. "'For my part,' said he, "'I never was master of a pair of spurs but once, and they are now at the bottom of the ocean. By the carelessness of Boswell's servant, they were dropped from the end of the boat on our return from the Isle of Skye.' The late reverend Mr. Samuel Badcock, having been introduced to Dr. Johnson by Mr. Nicholls some years before his death, thus expressed himself in a letter to that gentleman. How much I am obliged to you for the favour you did me in introducing me to Dr. Johnson. Tantum vidi vigilium. But to have seen him, and to have received a testimony of respect from him, was enough i recollect all the conversation and shall never forget one of his expressions speaking of dr p blank blank in square brackets Priestley, whose writings i saw he estimated at a low rate he said you have proved him as deficient in probity as he is in learning i called him an index scholar but he was not willing to allow him a claim even to that merit he said that he borrowed from those who had been borrowers themselves and did not know that the mistakes he adopted had been answered by others i often think of our short but precious visit to this great man i shall consider it as a kind of an era in my life Boswell notes see appendix g for notes on this footnote end the footnote he said that the parliamentary debates were the only part of his writings which then gave him any compunction but that at the time he wrote them he had no conception he was imposing upon the world though they were frequently written from very slender materials and often from none at all the mere coinage of his own imagination he never wrote any part of his works with equal velocity. Three columns of the magazine in an hour was no uncommon effort, which was faster than most persons could have transcribed that quantity. Of his friend Cave he always spoke with great affection. Yet, said he, Cave, who never looked out of his window, but with a view to the gentleman's magazine, was a penurious paymaster. He would contract for lines by the hundred, and expect the long hundred. But he was a good man, and always delighted to have his friends at his table. When talking of a regular edition of his own works, he said that he had power in square brackets from the booksellers to print such an edition if his health admitted it but he had no power to assign over any edition unless he could add notes and so alter them as to make them new works which his state of health forbade him to think of I may possibly live said he or rather breathe three days or perhaps three weeks but find myself daily and gradually weaker he said at another time three or four days only before his death speaking of the little fear he had of undergoing a chirurgical operation i would give one of these legs for a year more of life i mean of comfortable life not such as that which i now suffer and lamented much his inability to read during his hours of restlessness. I used formerly, he added, when sleepless in bed, to read like a Turk. Footnote, he wrote to Dr Taylor on February seventeenth, 1776, Keep yourself cheerful. Lie in bed with a lamp, and when you cannot sleep and are beginning to think, light your candle and read. At least light your candle. A man is perhaps never so much harassed by his own mind in the light as in the dark. In the Whilst confined by his last illness, it was his regular practice to have the church service read to him by some attentive and friendly divine. The Reverend Mr. Hoole performed this kind office in my presence for the last time when by his own desire no more than the litany was read in which his responses were in the deep and sonorous voice which mr boswell has occasionally noticed and with the most profound devotion that can be imagined his hearing not being quite perfect he more than once interrupted mr hoole with louder my dear sir louder i entreat you or you pray in vain Footnote. Mr. Croker records the following communication from Mr. Hoole himself. I must mention an incident which shows how ready Johnson was to make amends for any little incivility. When I called upon him the morning after he had pressed me rather roughly to read louder, he said, I was peevish yesterday, you must forgive me. When you were as old and... As sick as I am, perhaps you may be peevish too. Croker, I have heard him make many apologies of this kind. End of good note. And when the service was ended, he with great earnestness turned round to an excellent lady who was present, saying, I thank you, madam, very heartily for your kindness in joining me in this solemn exercise. Live well, I conjure you and you will not feel the compunction at the last which I now feel. Footnote. To his friend Dr. Burney he said a few hours before he died, taking the doctor's hands within his and casting his eyes towards heaven with a look of the most fervent piety, My dear friend, while you live, do all the good you can. End of footnote. So truly humble were the thoughts which this great and good man entertained of his own approaches to religious perfection. Footnote. Mr. Hoole senior, records of this day, Dr. Johnson exhorted me to lead a better life than he had done. A better life than you, my dear sir, I repeated. He replied warmly, Don't compliment now. End of footnote. He was earnestly invited to publish a volume of devotional exercises, but this, though he listened to the proposal with much complacency and a large sum of money was offered for it, he declined from motives of the sincerest modesty. He seriously entertained the thought of translating Taunus the French historian Jacques Auguste 1553-1617 author of Historia Sui Temporis in 138 books end of footnote he often talked to me on the subject and once in particular when I was rather wishing that he would favour the world and gratify his sovereign by a life of Spenser, which he said that he would readily have done had he been able to obtain any new materials for the purpose he added i have been thinking again sir of tornus it would not be the laborious task which you have supposed it i should have no trouble but that of dictation which will be performed as speedily as an amanuensis could write it is to the mutual credit of johnson and divines of different communions that although he was a steady church of england man there was nevertheless much agreeable intercourse between him and them. Let me particularly name the late Mr. Latrobe and Mr. Hutton of the Moravian profession. Footnote. Mr. Hutton was occasionally admitted to the royal breakfast-table. Hutton, said the king to him one morning, is it true that you Moravians marry without any previous knowledge of each other? yes may it please your majesty returned hutton our marriages are quite royal one of his female missionaries for north america said to dr johnson whether my saviour's service may be best carried on here or on the coast of labrador tis mr hutton's business to settle i will do my part either in a brick house or a snow house with equal alacrity End of footnote. His intimacy with the English Benedictines at Paris has been mentioned. And as an additional proof of the charity in which he lived with good men of the Romish Church, I am happy in this opportunity of recording his friendship with the Reverend Thomas Hussey, Doctor of Divinity. Footnote. Burke said of Hussey, who was his friend and correspondent, that in his character he had made that very rare union of the enlightened statesman with the ecclesiastic End of footnote. his catholic majesty's chaplain of embassy of the court of london that very respectable man eminent not only for his powerful eloquence as a preacher but for his various abilities and acquisitions nay though johnson loved a presbyterian the least of all this did not prevent his having a long and uninterrupted social connection with the reverend dr james Fordyce, who since his death hath gratefully celebrated him in a warm strain of devotional composition amidst the melancholy clouds which hung over the dying johnson his characteristical manner showed itself on different occasions when dr warren in the usual style hoped that he was better his answer was, "No, sir. You cannot conceive with what acceleration I advance towards death." A man whom he had never seen before was employed one night to sit up with him. Footnote. Being become very weak and helpless, it was thought necessary that a man should watch with him all night, and one was found in the neighbourhood for half a crown a night. End of footnote. Being asked next morning how he liked his attendant, his answer was, "Not at all, sir. The fellow's an idiot. He is as awkward as a turnspit when first put into the wheel and as sleepy as a dormouse. Mr. Wyndham, having placed a pillow conveniently to support him, he thanked him for his kindness and said that will do all." that a pillow can do he repeated with great spirit a poem consisting of several stanzas in four lines in alternate rhyme which he said he had composed some years before on occasion of a rich extravagant young gentleman's coming of age saying he had never repeated it but once since he composed it and had given but one copy of it that copy was given to mrs thrale now piozzi who has published it in a book which he entitles british synonymy but which is truly a collection of entertaining remarks and stories no matter whether accurate or not footnote mrs piozzi to add to the wonder says that these verses were improviso forgetting that johnson wrote to her on august the eighth seventeen eighty You have heard in the papers how blank is come to age. I have enclosed a short song of congratulation, which you must not show to anybody. It is odd that it should come into anybody's head. I hope you will read it with candour. It is, I believe, one of the author's first essays in that way of writing, and a beginner is always to be treated with tenderness. That it was Sir John Lade, who had come of age, is shown by the entry of his birth, August third, 1759, in The Gentleman's Magazine, 1759. He was the nephew and ward of Mr Thrale, who seemed to think that Miss Burney would make him a good wife. According to Mr Haywood, it was Lade, who, having asked Johnson whether he advised him to marry, received his answer. I would advise no man to marry sir who is not likely to propagate understanding. Mr Hayward adds that he married a woman of the town, became a celebrated member of the four-in-hand club, and contrived to waste the whole of a fine fortune before he died. In Campbell's Chancellors a story is told of Sir John Ladd, who is, I suppose, the same man. The prince of wales in eighteen hundred and five asked lord thurlow to dinner and also lad when the old lion arrived the prince went into the ante-room to meet him and apologized for the party being larger than he had intended but added that sir john was an old friend of his and he could not avoid asking him to dinner to which Thurlow in his growling voice answered, I have no objection, sir, to Sir john Ladd in his proper place, which I take to be your royal highness's coach-box and not your table. Being a piece of exquisite satire conveyed in a strain of pointed vivacity and humour, and in a manner of which no other instance is to be found in Johnson's writings, I shall here insert it. Note. British Synonymy was published in 1794, later, therefore, than Boswell's first and second editions. In both these, the latter half of this paragraph ran as follows. From the specimen which Mrs. Piozzi has exhibited of it, it is much to be wished that the world could see the whole. Indeed, I can speak from my own knowledge for having had the pleasure to read it, I found it to be a piece of exquisite satire conveyed in a strain of pointed vivacity and humour, and in a manner of which no other instance is to be found in Johnson's writings. After describing the ridiculous and ruinous career of a wild spendthrift, he consoles him with this reflection. You may hang or drown at last, End of footnote. long expected one-and-twenty lingering year at length is flown pride and pleasure pomp and plenty great blank blank sir john are now your own loosened from the miner's tether free to mortgage or to sell wild as wind and light as feather Bid the sons of thrift farewell, call the betsy's Kates, and Jennies—all the names that banish care. Lavish of your grand size guineas, show the spirit of an heir. All that prey on vice or folly, joy, to see their quarry fly. There the gamester, light and jolly. There the lender, grave and sly. Wealth my lad, was made to wander, let it wander as it will. Call the jockey, call the panda, bid them come and take their fill. When the bonny blade carouses, pockets full and the spirits high, what are acres, what are houses, only dirt, or wet or dry? Should the guardian, friend or mother tell the woes of wilful ways, Scorn their counsel, scorn their pauper. You can hang or drown at last, as he opened a note which his servant brought to him, he said, "An odd thought strikes me. We shall receive no letters in the grave Les mots n'écrivent point, says Madame de Maintenon the note that johnson received was says mr hoole from mr davies the bookseller and mentioned a present of some pork upon which the doctor said in a manner that seemed as if he thought it ill-timed too much of this or some such expression end of footnote end of section forty seven